Welcome to Deer Talk Now. I'm filling in for Dan Schmidt. I'm Brad Rooks. We're here to talk about late season hunting. Now, a lot of you guys love hunting the rut, right? We all do. I mean, it's right in the peak of the rut right now. I was just driving home and saw a deer, you know, that we've never seen before uh, on a property right across my house. That's why you love the rut. You also can hate the rut because as much as I love to see these deer that I've never seen before, that easily could have been one of the deer living on my property that's no longer there. So it's a give and take situation, especially if you own your own ground. Why I like I like early season and I like late season. And I'm going to tell you why. Because deer are slaves of their stomach. You know, so if you can figure out what they're eating, you know, how they're getting, where they're bedding, and just put that pattern together, they're more patternable that time of year than any other time of year. I tell everybody that wants to shoot a truly big deer and it's on your property, early season, first two weeks before any pressure is out there, especially if your season starts in September, they seem even more patternable or late season. In late season, in the Midwest especially, they are slaves to their stomach. It's going to be cold, miserable conditions, right? But those deer have to feed. They need those calories to stay warm. So they're going to be on their feet. Now, this time of year, if you don't have the food, it's a really hard situation to be in, right? So you got to figure out what on your property you know, you should be hunting over. It's good acorn crop. Do you have acorns that weren't eaten? Do you have a transition zone where they're going out to another farm? For me personally, you know, I put in my work way in advance. So we put in all the food plots in the world and we put food plots in for the season. We put early season plots in to hunt them in early September. We put in what I call rut plots where I know where the does like to bed, where they're going to pop out, they feel comfortable. And then we put in our late season plots. Um, if you ask me what I like for late season plots, it's hard to beat standing beans or it's hard to beat White Hill Institute's uh, uh, turnip greens and bulbs. I mean, it's a great product. Why I like turnips is because it's two food sources. You have the tops, you have the greens, right? And then you also have the bulbs. Now, those manufacturers are going to tell you no matter who you have, they're going to tell you that they, the whitetails only eat these bulbs, right, after they freeze. No, they're lying to you. Once your deer get used to these turnips, they're going to start eating them as soon as they come up out of the ground. Uh, my perfect size turnip is about a baseball size. I mean, you can grow them softball size. You can grow them twice the size of a softball. But it seems like the bigger they are, the woodier they are. The smaller they are, the deer really like them. And if you've never seen a deer eat a turnip, it's pretty interesting. So they pull the whole thing out of the ground, drop it, and then they grab it by the bulb and just eat it like it's a typewriter, just <laughs> mowing it right down. Um in late season, what I like to do is, uh, if it's a deep snow year, because deer take a lot of energy digging out these plots, right? Well, how can I help them eat in that food source so they don't have to exert so much energy? All I have to do is take my plow on my ATV, run a couple field rows down there, and just literally raise that blade up so it's two inches above the turnips and just put a nice road in through it. It'll do two things. One is it gets those turnips easier to get to, so the whitetails don't have a hard time getting into it. The other thing is whitetails don't like to walk through a ton of snow, so they're going to start using those for pass. So what I like to do is where I know they're going to enter the field, I'm going to give them a nice road right to where I want them to eat, right in front of my blind. So I'm literally getting these deer to transition from their bedding area into this food source, and it can be 
you know, anywhere from a five-acre field to a to an acre field. It doesn't really matter. I can manipulate them enough, but by putting a path through the snow directly in front of my blind, once that spot's eaten up, I, I can just move my blind over and do the same thing in another area of that field. So therefore, I can constantly keep those deer fresh coming into the the, the plot. Now, the beauty of late season is if you have the only food in your neighborhood, and, and guys, you don't have to take my word for it. Look at a lot of the big deer that are shot on camera on the TV shows. If you watch Mark Drury, he's a master of late season. Lee Lakowski, master of late season. And all these guys do is really master or manipulate food for these whitetails. And therefore, they keep them on there. They keep the bigger herd. They're getting bucks that they've never seen before. And that's, my, that's the other point I want to get into a little bit about late season. If you have a, a permanent or, 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 you know, the preferred food source in your area, deer are going to learn about that and come from literally a mile around. So therefore, I'm getting a lot of the neighbor's bucks that I normally wouldn't see. And if there's a mature one out there, we're going to target them. The other thing that this really does, if say I'm unsuccessful, but I draw him in there, he may end up liking where he's living so much that we've harvested our mature buck and he just takes it over as his own, especially with three-year-olds. If you got a dominant three-year-old and you harvested that four- or five-year-old out of your farm and this three comes in and he's just looking at it like, oh, my God, they got does, they got food, I got water, I got security, I got everything I need. I'm going to stay here forever. And then you have a mature deer for the following season. Um, again, l that late season time period, it's a pretty easy time to hunt, right? Um, if you know they're coming to the food sources, they're going to come out there earlier in the afternoon. The colder it is, the earlier they'll probably be out. We don't hunt mornings. And I'm going to tell you why is because a lot of times those deer bed so close to the food source that it's impossible to get in there without spooking them. Now, that, that's not true on everybody's place. Maybe you got a spot where they're bedding down further, you know, and all you have to do is kind of sneak in in between that pinch point between their bedding area and their feeding area and catch them in that transition area. Don't sit up on the food because it is almost impossible to sneak up on a late season deer. The ground is extremely crunchy up here. You might have frozen snow or snow in general. You're going to make a ton of noise walking at a minimum. If you're in the deep south, food sources are different in the south than they are up here. And uh, I learned that firsthand hunting with the guys from Whitetail Institute. Uh, Stephen Wilson Scott owned it at that time. They are always kind enough to have us down on a hunt. And up, uh, up in the Midwest, I'm from Wisconsin, you know, clover is pretty much done by the first week of November. A lot of it's already brown. Once in a while, it'll stay green, depending on how warm October was. And down there, we're hunting in January after the trade shows, and it's this lush green field, and the whitetails are absolutely pounding it. Uh, again, it's that preferred food source. You know, you're hitting the rut down there. So it's a great way of extending your season. If you're from the Midwest, you might want to travel down to the south, to Texas, Alabama, some of these states that have a longer season. The, the one thing that'll shock you is when you are used to looking at a Wisconsin or a, I'm just going to say a Midwest type whitetail for body size. When you go down in the south, sometimes it, it's it's amazing how much smaller those animals are after you harvest one. And one deer in particular, again, we're hunting with Steve Scott from Whitetail Institute, and I would have swore I shot a 130-inch eight-point. I mean, it looked big. He did everything a big deer normally does, and I shot him. And even in the field, we're excited. I was probably a little bit overly excited. And when I got the horns back in a box from Steve, 
I'll never forget and open it up. I was like, whose deer is this, man? This thing's way smaller than I thought. Well, it's because those body sizes are so much smaller than ours in the Midwest. It was still mature deer. It's a great buck. But when you're not used to looking at those that size of deer, it's really hard to judge. Um, I went in Texas for the first time last year, and it was uh, late season in December. And, and again, we had a, a great mature deer come in the first day, and he was a seven point. And they told us really to hold up for an eight. And... and to this day, I kind of kick myself because he was the first year we saw. I couldn't tell if he was three or four. I couldn't make up my mind. And, and literally, he ate by us probably for 20 minutes. And when he finally walked away, in comes a two-and-a-half-year-old. Then I was like, oh, boy, we made a mistake. <laughs> that, was a, that was a big, big deer. So, uh, you know, literally, if you're hunting in a spot where you're not real familiar, out of state, you know, especially if you're headed to Texas, Alabama, some of these deer or states that have smaller deer, do your research and really look at photos and videos of deer in that area so that you can get more comfortable with judging how old they are. If age is a factor, if you just want to go kill one, go shoot one. I mean, it's kind of funny. We all get bent out of shape about our deer, right? And I'm no different. We got a 10 point right now that's living on our farm. We got a nine point with a broken uh, G2 that we're trying to save. And yeah, I consider them my deer, but they're really not my deer. Do I get mad if the neighbor shoots them? No. I get mad at the deer because he wandered off the reservation, so to speak, because right now a few of those deer have a past. And as long as they stay on ours, nobody's going to shoot them. But they don't know that. And they ended up following the doe out in the field. And, you know, who knows where, it, where he's going to end up. And that's the other thing about the rut. You know, if if you have these huge destination food plots, right, or destination egg fields, you know, and it's pulling in 20 different does and they're probably from three different family groups, a buck moves out there, and if the, a doe's in heat from out of his area, he doesn't care, right? He's going to follow her wherever she goes, and that's how these deer get displaced uh, from their home territory because they're just going where their nose tells them to go, and, and they're in a rut. They always seem to wander so far. Um, if you're trying to do management, I'm going to get into a little bit about three- and four-year-olds. You know, Charlie Alzheimer said it best, three- and four-year-olds wander till they die. So basically, they walk until they drop is, is the saying that he used to say, and he's right. You know, if you get a three-year-old, especially in my area, it, it, they're going to continue to wander. They're probably not the biggest buck in the area, so they're going to continue to wander to find that area where they are the biggest buck. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to be on my farm where we're letting three-year-olds go, and they're going to get shot. Um, this year, we are really strong struggling on my personal farm with mature deer. Um, like I said, we got two right now, and I wouldn't call either one of them mature. One is definitely a shooter. He's four, uh, and we're going to try to sh- harvest him during the, the season here. But the other one's a broken tine nine, and I'm not sure if he's three or four. I mean, the only real way to tell us is on his teeth. But he has the body of a four-year-old, but the rack kind of a three, so who knows what he really is. Uh, again, a late season's a good time to judge your crop, right? So whatever bucks you have left, we really take a lot of inventory through the use of trail cameras. Uh, I want to get every deer that I can and get a record of which one lived because I want to know two things. One, I'm kind of curious what he was this year, right? So so you can go shed antler hunting. It's another great thing about late season hunting is uh, you have that preferred food source. And if you have it and there's enough of it, you'll probably find a lot of sheds right out there. So now you got a little proof of what buck lived. Here, here's his horn from last year. And it is pretty cool to shoot a deer that you actually have his sheds from the year before or two years or three years of history. Um, here on my farm, that doesn't happen a whole lot, but it does happen. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is passing some individual deer. 
And sometimes it works out for you, and literally sometimes it doesn't. And what I mean by that is, you know, one year we had a a four-year-old, and his core area was right in the middle of my property, and we really thought he'd blow the following year. We thought he would gain 20 to 30 inches. He is a solid 140 class. We thought he had a chance to go boom. He had great mass, really good twos and brows and threes and, and pretty good fours. So my my son let him, ended up going during the firearm season. He could have shot him. He came out at 50 yards. We let him go, okay? Late season, we got all kinds of photos. We let him go. We're all excited for the following year. And for whatever reason, don't ask me why, he set up shop about a half mile down the road, uh, not on my property. He was living on the neighbors, and they ended up shooting him during the, the firearm season. Now, you know, you can look at that two ways. You can You can be disappointed, and I'm sure we were at the time, or you can look at it saying, well, I lost one of my five-year-olds, but sooner down the road, you know, sooner one of them is going to come back to me. One of them, one of their deer that's mature that they've been hunting is going to end up on my farm and I'll probably harvest it. So it goes both ways. But late season is a great time to really judge these whitetails when they're coming out because you have a great chance to spend time really looking at the racks. And if he's coming out to a particular field, one night, he's probably coming out to that food source every night. They're so patternable that, that once you're on that source and there's enough food in there, they're going to continue to come through. What conditions do I like to hunt in for late season? For here in the Midwest, I like it cold. Colder the better. I like when a front is just moving in, like it's going to come. They'll try to be on their feet before the front hits or when the high pressure moves in after the front. And the colder the better. The, the, literally, these deer, if it's 10 degrees, minus 5 degrees, whatever in that range, they're going to come out to food, especially if you have some of those preferred high-protein food sources. And that's where it's really hard to beat standing beans. They absolutely love standing beans. How much, in fact? Well, I'm one of those guys that puts a fence, electric fence, around some of my beans just so we can hold them late season. Um, and if you're not familiar with that technique, it's pretty easy. So so you get a solar-powered fencer, right? And you can do two things. One, some of the companies out there have a fence that's tall enough where the deer don't jump over it, and you just wire that so it's hot. So if they touch it with their nose, they get shocked. The other method is, and that's the one I use because it's cheaper, is uh, two strands of wire. One's up, you know, probably, uh, I should know this, 24 to 26 inches, and the other one's about a foot off the ground. And and you stagger those so that literally, like, if they jump over the low one, they're going to hit the second one is what happens. And once a deer gets shocked, they get pretty smart. Um, two things about when you put a fence on your property, if you do do that and you do it correctly, it's going to be great, but you better check the fencer because once in a while you'll hit a deer that, that goes through it. And rather than turn around and jump the other way, he goes through it and he busts the fence line. Right. And so now, now there's not current going to the whole fence. And if you fenced in an acre, you'll be amazed at how quickly five to 10 deer can eat an acre of standing beans. We've already done that where we went down. Um, and checked out a food plot. It was completely, <laughs> completely gone. You know, and, and we had these high hopes of hunting it late season. They ate it when the leaves were still green. Um, but again, it's a great way to ensure that you have food for late season because food is king. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up about late season hunting is if you want to get a youth involved into the sport of hunting, it's a great chance to literally see deer. If you're out there at 2 o'clock, um, we've had 
days where we probably saw 60 deer come out to a field, which I know is unimaginable for a lot of people, but sometimes we have the only food source around for like a three-mile radius, and it's a preferred food source. You're going to have deer come from ever. So it is so fun for younger kids to watch. Um, and the other thing is, if you're going to do management, it is a great time to do doe management. Here in Wisconsin, we a lot of times have a late season doe only hunt, and it's in it's a weekend in December. And if we still have doe tags to fill, it is by far the favorite weekend <laughs> for my boys to hunt because one, they know they're going to get shooting. Two, they know they're going to get fresh venison. So uh, they're going to get out there and we're going to get there and harvest the mature does. And, and I'll bring one last point up since we're talking a little bit about doe harvest. You know, everybody has a different view on which doe to shoot. You know, th- there's two trains of thought. So a lot of people like to shoot the young ones, okay, because the mature doe probably doesn't eat quite as much because they're not going through that growing phase. You know, if it's a three, four, five-year-old doe. Um, she's also very family-oriented. She's set there. Um, the older doe is the one thing about that, that why a lot of people say they want to shoot them is they're the ones that push a lot of the other bucks out. So any buck that's in that family group that's a year and a half old, they're going to probably push him and continue to push him until he's living out of that core range. And, and that means he may set up, you know, on the neighbors or wherever. Okay, guys, we're going to take a break to thank one of our sponsors, Hit record and win rewards. Enter the Apex Whitetail Challenge in your state for your opportunity to win big cash. Enter today and get a 4K camera absolutely free. That is right, a $300 value camera absolutely free. Reserve your spot today at apexoutdoorrewards.com. So I want to tell you about this a little bit. If you enter the challenge, you get one whitetail entry for each challenge. You get a 4K digital camera, free, a mounting bracket for the camera, two rolls of antler measuring tape, a 32 gigabyte SD card, a USB charging cable, and a 90 minute battery with wall charger. That's all included in this, and you have an opportunity to win big cash. Check it out again at apexoutdoorrewards.com. I don't know how much you guys track whitetails, but it is pretty amazing from early season when you have, you know, a group of whitetails on your property and your year and a half old bucks basically turns by about the middle of October. And and what I mean by that is you'll have a whole new crop of bucks that are a year and a half old by middle of October, definitely by the end of October, than what you've been seeing earlier in September. Because these bucks, once once they get hardhorned, these does are going to push them out so that they don't get interbreeding and, and that kind of thing. It's just one of those human nature aspects in the whitetail world, which is pretty cool, I think. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like for me, uh, I have a lot of little pretty six-pointers and eight-pointers. And by the time after the rut hits, the crop that I get are the spikes and the forks. So we don't have a lot of pretty little bucks. And I think what that does is it takes them you know, an extra year to mature. Uh, the one thing about whitetails and racks, it's always interesting. A lot of people think, you know, a f- spike, always a spike, or a fork is always going to be a small block. No, that's not the case. He's probably a late-born fawn, and he's a little bit behind, especially especially when you look at spikes. Um, a lot of these spikes, 
uh, are probably under 100 pounds field dressed, right? So that is an extremely small deer. So everything's going into building body mass before it went into antlers, where these nice little baskets, sixes and eights, yeah, their genetics are probably similar to the other ones, but they were born earlier. They're probably born from a dominant doe that they're going to get the best food sources. That's the other last point I'll bring up about um, food sources. So in Wisconsin, I'm talking about stuff where we have to plant it, right? Or using natural acorns or whatever the preferred food source is. In the South and in multiple states, you can put feeders out. And feeder is a great way to, you know, maintain the deer. If you've never hunted Texas, I, I always thought Texas would just be terrible. It doesn't look like it's fun. But it is amazing how those deer hear that feeder like or know exactly when that feeder is going to go off. Ten minutes before the feeder goes off, they're starting to show up, right? And, and then the minute it goes off, they eat for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and there's no more deer. <laughs> to see that kind of activity, <laughs> excuse me, it is extremely cool. Um, if I was going to, if I lived in a state where I could feed them, I probably would plant a little or feed a little bit of corn, but I would be using more of the high-protein food sources. Analogix has some great oper- uh, you know, products out there. Record Rack does. And why would I feed that? Because if they have a high-protein food source through the winter months, it's going to help their body maintain body mass. So those bucks, those two- and three-year-olds that you're not shooting right now, they're going to get through the winter in great shape. Next spring, they don't have to pack on as much weight before the, the you know before those nutrients start going to the horns. So therefore, they're going to grow bigger racks. Again, I, I'm going to kind of shut this off, but the best time, in my opinion, to kill a mature deer on your home farm is either early season or late season. In my opinion, the rut is probably one of the worst times because it's all dumb luck. I mean, I look at my 300 acres that we own, and I probably have <coughs> 25 sets on there. On any given day, a mature buck's probably walking by one of those. So how do you know which one to set? I run Cutty Link trail cameras. We got them everywhere. Um, I get the intel, but they're still, during the rut, there's no guarantee where early season or late season, that deer is highly patternable. He's probably betting within the same 100 yards of where he has been in the past. He's coming out to that same food source, no matter if it's a farm field, your food plot, or if it's a feeder, he's coming out there on a daily basis. He's probably even coming out almost on the same time. The big things that affect time are high pressure system. If a high pressure system's moving in, they'll probably be on their feet earlier. If a storm front's moving in where the barometer's dropping, they're probably going to be on their feet again. I do not hunt during the extreme storms, but as soon as that storm gets done, I'm going to be out there as soon as possible. It, it, it truly is amazing to go out there in your heater bodysuit and it's minus 10 degrees out, right? And the deer are just funneling by you. It, 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 it's a fun time to hunt because, one, I don't have to be out there that long, right? If I know they're coming out at 2, I'm going to get out there at 145. It's not like I have to get out there because I'm hunting these food sources. I'll give you one last clue on, on one thing that you need to do. Think about your exit strategy, okay? So a lot of us are hunting on ground blinds right on the food source. So now I have 20 deer, I have 30 deer out there. How am I going to get out of my blind? What we do is uh, literally call the house, tell one of the kids to jump on the ATV, take it for a little ride. They scare all the deer out of the field. I jump out of my ground blind and walk home. Um, Because if they pattern you and they know you're in that ground blind, 
they're going to start staying away from it. They're still going to come out, but they're probably not going to give you that shot. So make sure you don't educate the deer all the time and get out of that blind and spook them out of there day in and day out because those mature does, they will figure it out. And if a mature doe pins you and knows where your blind is, they're smarter in those bucks. They'll literally scent check around that blind to see if you're in there. And if you're in there, they're going to start to blow. So make sure that the deer cannot pattern you and you're going to be a successful late season hunter. There's my late season hunting tips from what I've gained over the last 40 years. I know I'm not a deer encyclopedia like Dan Schmidt, but I actually kill some pretty good bucks. So take the information for what it's worth. Good luck to you the rest of the season. This episode is brought to you by Drop Tine Spirits and their premium 12-point bourbon whiskey. The story of Drop Tine's finest bourbon starts with being double barrel aged. What this means is they first aged the bourbon in new charred oak barrels in America's heartland, then send it to California to be finished in the salt air of the Pacific in the finest brandy barrels. Finishing their bourbon in brandy barrels was the choice of many trials to find flavors as unique as the Drop Tine deer. They wanted a bourbon that is not only warm to the palate, but it would sip smoothly and leave notes of fruit behind. They found the perfect brandy barrels in the Russian River Valley near Sonoma, California, and what they created is a bourbon whiskey that exhibits a sweet, floral, almost honey-like aroma balanced by caramel, toasted wood, brown sugar, and toffee. 12-point bourbon is only available online. To get a taste for yourself after the hunt, visit droptime.com. Deer Talk Now is also brought to you by HuntStand and the new HuntStand Pro app. Let me tell you, I've been using the HuntStand app for a couple seasons now, and I can honestly say it has changed the way I hunt. There's no more guessing on wind direction, property lines, and stand locations. The app takes my hunting to precise new levels that help me be more successful. The new HuntStand Pro app unlocks unlimited property data on a nationwide basis, including detailed property boundaries throughout the United States and most of Canada, including property owners' names in the United States with detailed ownership information. You can also access detailed public land maps and search for properties on a county, state, or province level. There are so many features that also help you dial in on the best spots based on weather conditions. For more information, visit the App Store or log on to HuntStand.com. This podcast is brought to you by Cuddyback Cameras. I'm going to tell you guys, I've known Mark Cuddyback personally for over 20 years, and I've been using those cameras for over 18 years on Deer and Deer Hunting TV. The recent technology in the past few years has absolutely blown me away, and for those of you who don't have great cell coverage where you hunt, Cuddyback's ability to daisy chain from one camera to another camera with new Cuddylink technology is an absolute lifesaver. With the ability to connect 24 cameras, I place one home-based camera at the edge of my property, swap that card out just once a month, and I get a look at all the activity on my entire property. My deer stay unpressured and the conditions are prime for opening day of bow season. For those of you who have the luxury of cell service, check out the new Cuddyback Tracks technology. This is game changing. For more information, go to cuddyback.com. Deer Talk is also brought to you by Traditions Firearms, a family-owned business and inventor of the new Nitro Fire muzzleloader. When owner and president Tom Hall and his daughter Allison first showed me the Nitro Fire system, I was immediately impressed that it is not only more convenient than conventional muzzleloaders, but it is safer. 
The ability to quickly remove the powder charge is a big deal, such as when crossing a fence, climbing into or out of a tree stand, transporting your rifle in a truck or an ATV, or when hiking rough hills, wading creeks, or plunging through swamps. I've used the Nitro Fire on numerous deer and deer hunting TV hunts over the past two years, and I find it safe, accurate, and very dependable. The gun is available in numerous configurations. To learn more, visit traditionsfirearms.com. The Deer Talk Now podcast is also brought to you by Apex Outdoor Rewards. Hit record and win rewards. Enter the Apex Whitetail Challenge in your state for your opportunity to win big cash. Enter today and get a 4K camera absolutely free. That's a $300 value absolutely free. There are some serious rewards here, guys, so be sure to enter in your state. Who would have thought your next buck could be putting money in your pocket? Reserve your spot today at apexoutdoorrewards.com. The Deer Talk Now podcast is also brought to you by Full Range Mounting Systems. These mounting systems are a great way to manage all of your mounts in a stylish and organized manner. We are using their pedestal mount here on the podcast set for two shoulder mounts and it looks just awesome. Be sure to check out all their mounting solutions at fullrangesystems.com. And finally, Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Hey, if you've watched me on Deer and Deer Hunting TV, you know that I'm an equal opportunity bow hunter, and for most of the past decade, that has also included crossbows. In fact, I shot my first crossbow deer with a 10-point over 12 years ago, and to say that I've been impressed with their technology is an understatement. This year, I'm shooting the new Nitro 505, the fastest crossbow in the world. It is light, compact, and includes the revolutionary AccuSlide cocking and decocking technology. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.